with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Tim. Well, good morning, guys. Hello. Hello. Say it again for the first time, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a distinct lack of Andrew in this morning's podcast, I've noticed. There is certainly a uh, an absence of Andrew. You know, I look over there, I see his empty chair. It's 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 sad. It's sad, Mike, without uh, without Andrew. I look over and I see the uh, the Scarlet Spider figure he got me, and I think of him. Is there a lone tear running down the Scarlet Spider's cheek? There is. Yeah, yeah. Makes you guys, you guys feel suck. better. I'll try to bring up the mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> you guys you suck. see, Paul, if you would have came. If you would have come to St. Louis for Fear the Kind, you would have probably got a figure, too. Oh, yeah. He would have had to buy my love like he bought everyone else on the podcast. Bribes work, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) You're just upset that your love wasn't purchased, that that our love was up for sale, as was yours, yet ours was purchased. That's true. I don't even think he bought me beer last year. I think I had to pay for it myself. Yeah. Your, Your love has been marked down. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's in a the, blue light special in the quarter box <laughs> the quarter box of love that's right that's right poor paul yes it's it's been kind of a poor paul kind of week has it been yeah i went to the dentist now what what precipitated this paul um needing to go to the dentist <laughs> did, did you have did you have like you know some kind of popcorn kernel stuck back there or or uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I had kind of one of those uh, Cthulhu tentacles growing out of my wisdom tooth. <laughs> now, it, it's been a little while since I've been to the dentist because the last time I went to the dentist, I went to one of those like in a shopping center type dentists. Like it used to be like a Chinese food restaurant and now it's a dentist. <laughs> well, it's still a Chinese food restaurant <laughs> and a dentist. <laughs> and a dentist. Cartwright! Cartwright! <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I had to go through like this procedure, this like deep cleaning procedure that I had to go back like three or four times for because you had some funk ass stuff going on up in your mouth, didn't you? Yep, yep. Yeah, and like you know, so this woman—that is why your love wasn't purchased, Paul. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. I mean, but it was like I, I just remember it was very traumatizing. There was lots of blood, and I remember after one of the sessions, the hygienist wiped her sweaty forehead and said, Jesus Christ, I have to go home. And left. <laughs> you have that effect on women, Paul. Wow. Apparently I do. So I, I so that was very traumatizing. I had not been back since. And this week was, was a pleasant experience. But I it was uh you know, I, I had this thing about metal on my teeth, so obviously going to the dentist is a very frantic experience for me no matter what. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there were there was no like there there was no traumatizing event this week. I, I feel I, I feel like I can go back to the dentist in six months. Well, did the trauma occur when they gave you the bill? Uh, well, I, you know they're going to mail me the bill, so we'll see. Oh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. see, our dentist is kind of interesting. It's uh, set up in an old house that's been modified to be a uh, an office, is and they have. No, they have all of this really cool state of the art stuff in there. And one of the things they've they've done, too, is they've mounted TVs to the ceiling. So while you're working, while they're working on you, you can bring in a DVD and they'll load it in for you. 
So you can be watching stuff up on the ceiling while they're working on your teeth. You can be watching Batman Triple X. <laughs> I was about to say Spider-Man Triple X. Were they a little awkward when you brought that in, Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and unlike Paul's dentist, they don't give you a fortune cookie when you're done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so all I heard was Paul say that he hasn't had a, a traumatic experience yet this week, Aaron. I, I did not have a... Do you want to put that between Justice League and Danger Club, or should we move it up on the show? Now? Uh, we probably need to move that up. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I went to the to the dentist once and uh, what? You know, once a time, <laughs> and you know they were gonna they were gonna drill on this uh, cavity I had, and it, they did the thing where okay now if I hurt you, raise your hand, you know, and so he's drilling and it's you know and it hurts so I raise my hand and the assistant just pushes my hand down and he continues drilling, and it hurts again so I, I put my hand up, the assistant puts my hand back down. Third time, she goes to put my hand down, and I slap her in the face. Pop! (laughs) (laughs) True story. (laughs) Aaron, I got it covered. Paul's car is going to get towed in about 20 minutes. Did you call it in? Yep. (laughs) Awesome. You're welcome. I'm going to go move my car. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I am... uh, not one to promote the competition on our show. Uh, you know, uh, there are other, there are other, I, you, you, dear listener, you may not know this, but there are actually other comic book podcasts out there. Really, there none of them you should listen to except just a handful um, because we're your full service comics podcast here. But I will say that I listened to one this week that was, uh, that, that bears listening to and bears pimping. Um, Kevin Smith, you know, uh, Smodcast guy himself um, has a new podcast coming out called "The Fat Man on the Batman," and it is Kevin Smith interviewing uh, key Batman creators. And his first episode is an interview he did with Paul Dini. You know, of course, from uh, Batman the Animated Series fame, the guy who created Harley Quinn and and uh, was responsible for just really reimagining the animated Batman. Um, it is a fantastic interview, and I highly recommend going to listen to it. I've already listened to it twice. It's it's just amazing what a good interview that is. Um, and and you know I didn't know that Paul Dini had his hand in so much stuff prior to the animated series. So uh, really a very strong interview, and I'll put a link in the show notes for you. It's going to be an ongoing series with uh, Kevin Smith interviewing folks from uh, uh, interviewing Batman creators. So really very very good. I'm surprised he hasn't mentioned that on some of his other podcasts because I'm I'm a regular listener of Hollywood Babylon, great podcast with a lot of geek news and stuff. Uh huh. And I haven't heard him mention that. Well, it was in this week's feed on Smodcast, and uh, so he he kind of you know pimped it there, and boy, it was it was just awfully darn good. It was awfully darn good. Much like Hypernaturals from Boom Studios, the uh, free comic book day uh, issue uh, now. Wayne, I know you read it. I did. And uh, Tim? I read it. And, and Paul? I read it. Uh, maybe I didn't say it with as much excitement as you expected me to say it with. Okay, well, I'm going to come back to you since you're not excited. <laughs> okay. Wayne, tell me about Hypernaturals. I really enjoyed this book. It read to me kind of like uh, Legion of Superheroes should be. Uh-huh. Uh, far future setting, a series of you know a team of heroes and it seems like this is a some sort of established team that they just keep replacing mm-hmm. 
like people serve their tour of duty on this team, then they retire, and then a new team comes forward. I I really liked the take that it had on the corporate business of superheroing. You know that that, that you know it's been a hundred years since this organization has been around. Like you said, you know that they're they're term limited, so they can only do three tours of duty. Um, I like that there's a they've already kind of built in a rich history because this is the hundredth year that the hypernaturals have been protecting the continuum. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I am really digging this book and, you know, unlike a lot of the free comic book day books, this actually felt like a real comic. Well, and they also, so that it's kind of a, uh, a hit on reality TV too, because these guys seem to be always monitored, always yeah. tracked media stars. And you hear things. Yeah. They're yeah. big media stars. You hear things like, uh, they're referred to as, uh, the version of the team they were on. You know, the current lineup is the uh, the 21st iteration of the famous team, and nothing has happened since this version. And it's kind of like seasons, right? So the old people are referred to based on the season of the team that they were a member of. I kind of got a kick out of that too. The characters were all very interesting. I dislike most of the concepts for their superhero identities because mm-hmm. some of them seem kind of uh, odd and corny, right? But the characters were all good, and their interactions were all good. So, Tim, what'd you think? I thought it was a pretty neat setup. Um, the whole uh, here's our new here's our new season of Hypernaturals, and it, it immediately epic fails. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh crap, what do we do? And then oh. that was I thought that was a cool setup. I like I like the way they did the, the storytelling. I'm kind of with Wayne. Some of the concepts are kind of stupid, like. Like the one guy that looks like Wolverine. It's like, okay, he's Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that artist likes drawing Wolverine. And the guy that's all wire. Yeah, uh, muscle wire. Yeah. Pretty goofy. To me. Now, he was number one on my list of goofy characters. Well, I, I like Id and Ego, you know, the, uh, you know, who's actually two people merged into one. You've got the thinky part and the brawny part. I, I, I really like Id and Ego. Um, and I and I really like Half Shell. Too bad for me. <laughs> Half Shell might not be asked back. Paul, I got I got a real kick out of uh, Half Shell's. Just you, know, it seems like this tech character, and you expect there's going to be a big fight between the tech and the uh, you know the mental one that can sense things. And you get the opposite of that. You get the uh, you know, okay, my sensors tell me nothing, but I trust you. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, what did you think of Hypernaturals? I um, I didn't like it as much as you guys. <laughs> okay. I, I, it reminded me a bit of Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> and uh, you know, whenever I whenever I get to something that reminds me of Legion of Superheroes, it kind of turns me off. Well, you know what what I what I like about this aspect of you know because you're right there is a, an element of that LSH kind of. Uh, uh, aspect to it, but I like that it seems like a manageable universe. You know, I don't feel immediately feel overwhelmed. Well, there's these 500 legionnaires that I don't know who they are or care about. Yeah, uh, you know. So I mean, I, I like that it's kind of manageable, and I like that I'm already hooked into what's going on. But continue, Paul. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. I, 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 I see your point. I just, I don't like. Keep telling us why you're wrong, Paul. <laughs> no, no. I don't like concepts like this. I'm not saying it's a bad book. I'm just saying I don't generally like concepts where it's 
uh, a government-funded group, and they all generally wear the same type of costumes. And yes, they have different powers, but other than that, they're kind of indistinguishable. And I like DNA, but I, I don't feel this has the charm and fun of like Guardians of the Galaxy, where every character was visually different, visually interesting, and you know, just just dynamic. And I don't feel like I'm getting that off of this. I don't feel like there's a lot of fun. At least from what I read in the Hypernaturals book, it just all felt very deadly serious, and that's just not the DNA I like. I like the the fun DNA, not the. I don't like reading so serious space stuff, and and so you know, again, it's not a bad book. It's just not. It didn't tickle my pickle. Well, I you know, this is uh, Hypernaturals are uh, the characters created by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, or DNA as uh, Paul. Uh, mentioned uh this is a a going to be an ongoing series from boom studios and i gotta tell you i you know i I hear what you're saying paul but boy this this really did scratch an itch for me i really got a kick out of the book yeah Uh, this this brings me up to three boom books that i'm buying on a regular basis despite getting them free uh hypernaturals i fanboys versus zombies and uh and higher earth. Yeah. yeah. Now, before we move on from Hypernaturals, I have a question for you guys. Sir. Did you see the announcement this week about Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, what was the announcement? All right. So Guardians of the Galaxy are returning in the pages of Avengers Assemble. Uh, for anyone who reads Avengers Assemble, Thanos was revealed as the main villain of the first story arc in issue three, which came out a week or two ago. And in issue six, the Guardians of the Galaxy team up with the Avengers um, in a book written by Brian Michael Bendis, and Marvel is heavily hinting, heavily hinting, that Bendis is going to be writing a Guardians of the Galaxy book in the future. Ooh, I could get behind that. Yeah, so after he wraps up his Avengers fr- stuff. I'm going to have to be buying freaking Avengers Assemble, aren't I? Oh, God. And you know what the bad thing is? Avengers Assemble is so terrible. <laughs> it is so, so terrible. See, I read the first issue. I didn't find it terrible. I just found it lackluster. It gets worse. It is so, so terrible. Um, but, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and freaking Thanos, two of my favorite things about Marvel. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it turns around towards the last half of the arc. I mean, I'm saying this book is worse than the first arc of the Avengers book by John Romita Jr. with John Romita Jr. on the arc. <gasps> it's worse than that. Something. So, that you know, Paul, is horrible. Everything you said about uh, Legion of Superheroes, you except for the uh, the similar costumes, the whole here are a bunch of characters. I'm left not knowing why I should care about any of them or who any of them are. That's always been my feeling on Guardians of the Galaxy. I have never been able to get into one of their books because I'm left looking at all of these characters wondering who are they, why should I care? Hmm. You care because we tell you to care. Because it's Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Fuck yeah. You know, and I, I got to be honest, that was something that I was worried about with America's Got Powers. Because, you know, you see the cover and you read the concept and it's a government-funded supergroup and they all wear the same costumes and they're really indistinguishable. But what I liked about that book is that they didn't focus on them. They focused on this normal kid. So, I mean, I, when the book focuses on that government-funded team of superheroes that all look alike, I lose my interest. You know, Dan Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning, great guys. We've had them on the show before. I look forward to seeing what they do in the future, uh, and maybe Hypernaturals will turn it around. But the free comic book they issue just didn't t- just didn't fascinate me like I was hoping. Or, it, to use your words, it did not tickle your pickle. My pickle was untickled. That's just disturbing, Paul. 
<laughs> but you know what does tickle my pickle? What, Paul? Tell us about about the pickle know. tickling. <laughs> uh, I think we need to stop using that analogy already. Um, <laughs> Show title, by the way. <laughs> before Watchmen, I am really excited about Before Watchmen. Now, am I excited enough to pick them up in floppies? Probably not, because these are going to have, you know, they're just writing these for the trades anyway, since that's where Watchmen does the most of its business. Um, but some dynamite creative teams on this Before Watchmen book, and we've mentioned the creative teams before, guys like Darwin Cook, Brian Azzarello, um, Jay Lee, but lots of media outlets are getting a chance to read Before Watchmen early. Oh, wow. Can you get us on that list, Paul? Um, apparently not. <laughs> why is that, Paul? Well, I haven't seen – it's funny. I haven't seen some of the major ones like Newsarama. I have not seen. Um, but like MTV Geek has, and and some of the others have. Of course, Bleeding Cool has not. Um, but you, they actually had to go to DC's offices, and they read the book from binders. They were reading before Watchmen from binders, not from actual printed copies. And uh, you know, of course, under strict supervision because they couldn't leave yeah. the room with any of it. So, they couldn't take pictures of any of it. Anything think like that. About the geek cred these guys have. You know, they're sitting around uh, comparing e penises, and they're like, "Yeah, you know what? I read before Watchmen from a binder in DC's office with Dan DiDio standing right behind me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you don't top that. They win any conversation with geek cred right there. But what, is Paul... DC, what is DC offices? Is it Shield Helicarrier? Is it Red Hill Scan? <laughs> no, it's, it's the Justice League Watchtower. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in, in orbit of the Earth. Paul, did you say that, that Watchmen makes most of its money off graphic novels? Watch, I mean, yeah. I mean, no one's is buying that, the floppies anymore. Is, is that because the floppies came out 25 years ago? <laughs> in theory, yes. <laughs> in theory. In theory, they came out 25 years ago. I just love that logic. I love that logic. Well, it makes all its money in graphic novels. It's uh, floppies. Who cares? Oh, you know, you I, know I, 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 the Phoenix I Saga gonna... makes all its money in graphic novels, too. So I, I don't know why. Maybe it's some sort of coincidence. I, I was going to have Paul's car towed to give him a bad day, but I just we just had to have Andrew on the podcast has to make them look stupid. <laughs> my, my point of saying that was that before Watchmen will be aimed towards the trade market, and I imagine they will collect them rather quickly after the floppies are done. You don't know. I, I See, think, I'm kind of curious about that, though. Because of the nature of these books, or is it one tied-in story, or are these a bunch of one-shots? If they're a bunch of one-shots focusing on different periods of the characters – then I would be more interested in picking up a couple of one-shots because I don't necessarily want them all. And I'm still annoyed that it's even happening, so I probably won't buy any of them. But if I were to buy one of them, I'd be more likely to just buy one floppy than the trade. I am buying <laughs> all of them. I'm so excited about this. I, I, I'm really looking forward to Before Watchmen. Now, wait, to answer your question, they are not all one story. Um, they are different stories from different periods of each character's lives. Some of them are one-shots. Some of them are miniseries. Yeah, so that's not writing for the trade at all. I mean, they'll be thrown together in a trade, sure, but it's not. That's not designed for the trade. That's all one shots. I can I can hear the geek screaming now, Aaron. You might as well blow your nose in Alan Moore's beard at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Just screaming. If I well, ever had the chance to blow my nose in Alan Moore's beard, I would oh, totally well, do it. Yeah, while yeah. reading before Watchmen. Or you know, 
you know, maybe I'll cry and I'll, I'll clean my 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 tears with this beard. You, or, you know, oh, you're eating nachos and you get some cheese around your mouth. You oh, yeah. Sucker yeah. and just wipe wipe up. But yeah. I uh, I'm excited about before Watchmen. I'm, I think there's unlike Aaron. I think I'm in about half the titles as I recall. And when when are they coming up, Paul? When are they starting to to hit the uh, hit the stands? He's not talking to me because I pointed out the floppy sentence. Oh, uh, one, two, three, two, and got there. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, they're they're on board for they they come out in June, and I'm probably on board for about half of them. I don't know if I'm interested in Doctor Manhattan, for example. Uh, totally. Am. Yeah. No. Um, but you know, Minutemen by Darwin Cook. Sign oh, me up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No Rorschach. I'm with Wayne. Oh yeah. Now, I I appreciate them coming out for my birthday. That's that's gonna be awesome. So Tim, you said you're with Wayne on this one. You guys are standing standing your moral ground, right? Well, if you guys were really standing your moral ground, you would resign from the podcast. You'd say you shouldn't even be reviewing these. You shouldn't read them. You shouldn't review them, and you'd be out. This is my last. This is my last podcast on this comic book podcast. I need to go I'm to a moving up. podcast that doesn't backstab its host. <laughs> Please, I've dealt with all of the. Uh, the blowing of Grant Morrison that Paul does. I could deal with this, too. Well, and that's why Paul had the problems at the dentist with all that Alan Moore Cthulhu penis up in his mouth. No. That's horrifying. Terrifying. It looks but, like a mouth, but it's a gateway to hell. And, and that will be the show title. Alan no. Moore's Cthulhu penis all up in Paul's mouth. Can you make that do that on the graphic, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I'll have to pose for that one. <laughs> uh, so moving on to a more family-friendly topic. <laughs> please do. Please, so let's please. talk about Archie Comics. Um, so the Red Circle app came out this week, uh, you know, from Archie Comics, uh, featuring the old Red Circle characters in their new incarnations, the New Crusaders. Um, the first two episodes were released this week. The first one was free, as, along with a bunch of um, classic vault titles from the Red Circle books, were available on the app, too, uh, for, I think the price is like 99 cents a week, and you get access to everything. Which is, but yeah, which is which is a good price, but I, I need to know, Paul, why, why can I not buy these off Comixology? Okay, so I'm uh, to that point. I'm a little. He's frustrated. glad you asked, Andrew. Yes, <laughs> I, I am glad you asked because I'm a little frustrated that this app is only available through iTunes or for your desktop. Yeah, I can't get it on my Kindle. Right, um, and you know, it's not only that; it doesn't have a guided view. Mm-hmm. Oh, cue the violin music. <laughs> so, re- so you know, reading it off of my iPhone is a little tricky because you're trying to read a whole page comic book off of your iPhone mm-hmm. um, instead of doing a guided view, which is much easier to read. Right. But I mean, you know, so this, but so the app issues aside, and I don't know why it's not available through Comixology. I think they have a deal with graphically. I think that's the company that produces their, um, their app. I man, I gotta say, if if you're going into the comic, the digital comic space, sorry Tim, uh, and you're not gonna go with Comicsology in some way, that seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I am. Uh, I downloaded it to my iPad to to see what it was all about, and you know, initially I was like, oh wow, you know, they're they're providing you access to the, you know, uh, the Red Circle Vault, you know, but ninety nine cents a week seems a little steep. Um, particularly when they've done nothing to enhance the graphics on the old uh, uh, Red Circle books. 
And I'm really, you know, I really try not to have a bunch of redundant apps. And I'm already annoyed that I've got my Comixology app plus my Marvel app plus my DC Comics app because of the things that Marvel and DC offer exclusively through their own apps. So I don't want to have an app for each one of these publishers. So I don't see me buying, I don't see me subscribing at the 99 cents a week level. For God's sake, Aaron, don't tell me what the Marvel and DC apps provide because I so far have been able to avoid putting them on my iPad. <laughs> well, you know, the issue about the, the Marvel app is that you – if you buy one of their print books that has a digital copy, you can't import it to Comixology. You have to import right. it to the Marvel app, and that's what I yeah. find so frustrating. So yeah, you know, every, every issue, every print issue of AVX, my digital copy rolls into the Marvel app, and I, you know, with it being the same technology, I should be able to port that over to Comixology. And to me, this is just another reason not to buy floppies. You know, I'm getting there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had this conversation this week. If I was not loyal to my comic shop, mm-hmm. like if my comic shop, God forbid, were to close down, I would not find a new comic shop. No. I would go 100% digital. Fascist. <laughs> or if my yeah, if, if, I still prefer physical over the digital ones. I I have the Comicsology app. I hardly ever use it because it's just the physical is so much better of an experience for me. You know the the benefit for me of having the Comicsology app is all those sales they have through the week. Mm. I mean, they put stuff on the ninety nine cent sales, and I mean, I I am spending more money on comics now. Because I'm making uh, – and I should probably say that quieter so my wife doesn't hear it in the other room. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they'll have those, those sales during the week, and those are impulse purchases for me. I'm like, oh, I never read that before. Let me go grab those books because at 99 cents, why not? You know yeah. what finally got me into The Walking Dead is when they ran the 50% off Walking Dead trade paperbacks on Comixology. Yeah. And you know, for four – it was I think it was 450 Per graphic uh, novel, I mean, or per trade, how can I, how can I not resist yeah. that? Well, and the same See, thing. If I started doing that, it would be just like Steam. On Steam, I have a ton of games I've bought on these huge sales that I've never downloaded and played. I just bought them. I would have the same problem. I would just be buying comics left and right that I'd never get around to reading in my backup pile. Instead of being like 15 regular books, I'd have like 200 digital ones I hadn't read. But the great thing about it is that your wife won't walk in and go, why haven't you read all these books? Because they're hidden on your iPad. All right. Well, we just hit our five-minute obligatory digital comics conversation. No, no. Because we didn't finish. This is our special double-sized digital comics conversation. (laughs) Well, and we have to get back. I think New Crusaders advertising was a little bit weak. I think maybe they have the same guy that advertised John Carter advertising. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was was a stretch. But so, you know, but I did break down. I did. I did put the Red Circle app on my iPad, and I did download New Crusaders. Yeah. So, so Paul, you're excited. Your enthusiasm dragged me along. What do you think? Um, you know, I, I got to be honest. The first free episode wasn't. It was. It was worth free. How about that? It, it, mediocre, perhaps a good word. Yeah, it, it was definitely worth the price of admission. Uh, but I did pay the ninety nine cents for the second episode, and I was much. I, I was pleased with the second episode. Um, what I'll probably do is I'll probably give it a chance for the first four episodes. Um, you know, I'll probably you know give, give it a couple more episodes, see how, what I think of the story because I like the art and I, I think I'm going to like the story. Um, it, it's it's just a little tricky because you're getting a ba- basically like is it eight pages of comic a week for ninety nine cents? That seems kind of s- screwy there. 
but no, all the vault. Not but, really. Yeah. But it because if you think about it, you're paying four dollars for a twenty page comic book. Here you're paying four dollars for a thirty two page comic book plus all the archive stuff. Well, but you know, let, let's look at the value of the archive. Okay, let's take a talk about the app. There's no guided view technology there. Correct. So you know, it's just like reading a PDF on your or, on your iPad or a real comic. Well, but you know. The, the difference no, on a, no, real- no, a real comic experience definitely beats PDF every day. I'll give you the guided view being useful, but the PDF experience for comics sucks, especially when you have you know big spreads. Okay, Wayne, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I number one, I don't think that the story was very good on the eight pages that I got on the on the the, the free episode one. I agree. Uh, uh, there just wasn't enough there to, to make me want to come back. So no, I'm not going to pick up the second week. Um, beyond that, they've done absolutely nothing with those uh, with the vault books. Uh, if they had something on there saying, okay, here is just all the basic scans, and over a period of time, we're going to improve the scans. Because literally, what they did is they they picked up comics and scanned them in. I mean, you can see the yellow of the paper. Yes. You know, and, and I'm just you know. You can get that on a torrent. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I just I'm not interested in seeing that that level of of uh, imaging. I want to see something that has been restored. Okay, so a couple of things. Uh, this would be a way to do it legally. I guess would be the advantage of the torrent. Uh, and <laughs> well, for, you know, that you can see that quality in a torrent. I want I want to see a higher quality resolution on the graphics. Sure. I think 99 cents for New Crusaders, uh, eight pages a week, is, is is a fair price, as Paul pointed out, when, when you do the math. Uh, if it was a better book, I would agree. That, and that's my point, yeah. is that uh, I, I did not – I was not so taken with the first uh, eight pages that I want to spend a dollar, which is too bad because if you're giving something away for free, it should be – it should honestly be of such high quality it hooks people in. And then you've got them, and then you can, then maybe your second issue not so great, but that first taste. Well, and <laughs> as let's, people have learned on the streets, the first taste needs to hook you. Well, and let's talk about what's wrong with those first eight pages. Nothing happens. Yeah, you no, know? And I agree. I totally agree. I think the first, I think the 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 free stuff they put out was a mistake. I think the, honestly, I think the first, if you read the second chapter, you would be you would be more interested. So I think it's almost like you they should have put the first two chapters for free because the, the second chapter, it really starts to pick up. And the book, honestly, it kind of reminds me of Justice Society, and I love Justice Society. So I, that's why I'm going to give it a couple more chapters. But you're right. The first issue or the first episode was not was not the way to br- hook readers in. You should have had eight pages of nothing but action. Yeah, you should have yeah. had eight pages that, that you saw just amazing – uh, you know, breathtaking explosions, action fighting, with a hint of who the characters are that made you say, "Ooh, I got to come back to find out what this was." Yes, started and, media res, so yeah. people are left with that question of how things got to this point and yeah. hook them in. But you know, I I finished that last panel. I'm like, well, I could care less about any of these people. Yeah, you know, and, I, and you know, if it was more than 99 cents, I wouldn't have gone for it. But I did go for it, and I'm glad I did. But um, you know, I'm, I'm See, I. I'm curious to see where it goes. See, Paul's tempted me. He, he got me to put the app on my computer, and now he's trying to bait me into that 99 cents. It's like, That's oh, yeah, the second, one, cent, the second one's so much better than the first one. Like, well, 
It's only $0.99. Cents. Uh, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, I, if you're a fan of just, Justice Society, and I'm talking about Justice Society from you know back when Jeff Johns was writing it, I think this book might be up your alley. I did, um, I I, I did like Justice Society. Yeah. It, it has that flavor to it. But, you know, Jeff Johns would catch me in the first eight pages. This is true. This is so. true. Well, okay. So since we're talking about books that, that suck. I, that suck. <laughs> we should probably st- – well, no. I didn't think New Crusaders sucked, but I did think the um, one-shot Amazing Spider-Man Ends of the Earth did suck. I was Whoa. really disappointed in this book. Hold up, cowboy. Uh, I'm going to say half of this book sucked. <laughs> I can before, agree with that. Which half? Because I, I don't want to – The first which half. half. Oh, okay. I was going to say the second half. Oh, no. Brian Clevenger's Big Hero 6 was awesome. I, I, repudiate, I, I repudiate your point, Wayne. Is that a word? Yes, repudiate is a, is a word. I just didn't care about Big Hero 6, but I thought after reading this that uh, Union Jack kind of kicked ass, and I knew nothing about the character before this. Well, and Kangaroo. Don't forget Kangaroo. Or Sabra. I really got to know and love Sabra. I love that uh, that Kangaroo walks into battle with an open can of Molson's in his hand. <laughs> that, that, that may be why Lady Deathstrike cleaned his clock. Just saying. <laughs> Sabra looked really cool, and I know nothing about this character or what her powers are supposed to have been because she's described as a mutant. And now it doesn't matter. Well, I, so, I'm gonna, I'm going to go old school on you and say I I first saw Sabra in the old con what was it uh, contest of champions uh, that that predated the original Secret Wars book where you had to go uh, to Marvel uh, headquarters. And, yeah, that's right and read it in their binder <laughs> yeah they had the pages under slickers you know <laughs> yeah overall I did find the the whole book to be somewhat disappointing I thought Union Jack was a very cool character out of this other than that it it didn't really grab me, and I, you know, there's no definitive. Are these heroes dead or are they alive? You, know, you kind of think some of them are dead. They, it's off-panel death, so they're probably still alive, or they'll be easily written back alive, or just ignore this. Or, what I think you know? was unfortunate when I read, uh, you know, the ends of the earth one shot was that I read Amazing Spider-Man 685 right before I read this, and oh, yeah. 685 rocked. I mean, the, the artwork was was stunning. The dialogue was terrific. And, you know, they, they really laying down how, how serious this is. And it teases, you know, be sure and go read the Ends of the Earth one shot to find out if these guys survive. And, uh, you know, li- like Wayne said, there's really no – on a lot of these pages, there's no clear, you know, did the person actually die. I mean, I, I, since so much of this stuff happened off panel, I'm going to guess that Kangaroo is still alive. You know, Perhaps, I, but but I, I feel pretty definitive. The pool of blood coming out from Sabra's head is, that, is fairly definitive, and that upsets me because I rather like Sabra. Well, I just love Crossbones sitting there. It's the little the little box under his name when you first see him says "brutal assassin." Enjoys. Enjoy sandwiches. <laughs> He's got one up to his face. But you know that I, was I, the I, panel of the book for me was just Crossbones sitting back eating a sandwich, with a sniper rifle in his hand, and his legs propped up. All right, so I know we're focusing on all the happy little moments of this book, mm-hmm. but can we focus on how bad it sucked, too? I thought this book was crap. It was a $4 waste of my time. It was not a $4 book. It was, uh, 
you know, especially compared into the earth and the Spider-Man proper is so good. And this was just kind of mediocre. So, so it had a couple of good bits, but yeah. And you know, and the thing is, is, you know, I enjoyed union Jack. I enjoyed big hero six. Um, what I didn't enjoy is that none of what, uh, happens in the book really enhances anything from amazing Spider-Man 685 other than union Jack got a chip. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe I'm answering my own question here. Are we really su- surprised that there was a pointless tie-in to a, to a major event storyline? You know, the only reason that that I picked it up is because I thought it was going to be key. And I, oh, if, I knew it would be pointless and have nothing to do with the main story. I just thought it might be a good one shot with you know seeing some of these other heroes that we don't see normally. Yeah, that's. That, I thought it'd be some offbeat, crazy side characters I never get to read about. That's that's yeah. why I was in. Things like someone reaching in their bag and grabbing a gun away from Reed Richards. That yeah, was that, pretty that, cool. That was pretty cool. I, well, I do like Honey Lemon quite a bit. Brought to you by Brian Clevenger. Anytime Reed Richards sees something happen, replies back with, "There are at least six ways that should be impossible." Yeah, that was a cool moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, Brian Clevenger's writing it, it was quite good on the Big Hero Six. Well, part. and I want to know what the International Space Station is doing in the Andromeda Galaxy. <laughs> That's that. That was. I was like, how did they get it there? I need to know more about this. Mr. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Paul, Paul, I heard that you say that it was a waste of time and you didn't like it, but everybody else seemed to have you know at least points that they liked. What 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 was the main negative for you? I just felt like the book was pointless, and not just pointless, because, you know, I can enjoy a pointless book if, if I enjoy the story and stuff like that, but I just didn't find much there to really grasp me. I I, I felt like, you know, so you, they introduced these characters just to kill them off in a couple of pages, and I don't care about any of them. And yeah, You don't care about it, Kangaroo? No. He's got He's a pouch cannon, Paul. <laughs> he has more supial powers than Prehensile Tail. <laughs> I just, and an open can of Molson's. You know, I oh, bet there's Molson's. another can of Molson's in that pouch. I do have to say, wait, I, I, they did break it when they put Molson's instead of Foster's. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was just yeah, one of a Sabre series. Sabre was just hot. You know, I just felt it was one of a series of books this week that first storyline. And I feel like I spent a lot of money this week on buying comics that didn't further storylines <laughs> or that could have been wrapped up in five pages in another book. And in fact, our next book is one of those. Here's what I'm wondering about this book though, Paul, I'm kind of curious if they're using this as a way to try to launch another big hero six title. Cause it's been since God, the original big hero six was around like 98 or so. I don't remember how long it lasted, but it didn't last very long. And this is kind of a revamped version of the team with some newer costumes and such. So I'm curious if they're gonna if they're using Spider Man as a way to gauge interest in the characters, see if well, they can do some sort of relaunch. And you know, I love Brian Clevenger. And you know, but I think this is similar to what they were trying to do when they tried to relaunch Shang Chi with his tie into Spider Island. You know, they're just the, 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 I don't know if the story was there to really launch an ongoing series, um, and I I felt the same thing with this one shot. I don't really want to read another book with Union Jack or Big Team whatever here whatever what what are they called something something six Big Hero Big Six, Hero six. Big, Big Hero Six with Fred Zira. 
811. I, I don't need to read another book after this one. I, you know, I felt like I just none of none of that really grasped me. I'd be so in for a Big Hero Six book written by Brian Clevenger. I think I would too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he, he has the tropes down for that type of he does. Book so, so he does. Well. He does, and I and I will give him that. And you know, I there were definitely moments of each story that I thought were interesting, but overall, I just was like, mm, probably didn't need to read this. Probably didn't, you know, didn't get much out of this as far as contributing to the end of the Earth storyline. Well, I am surprised because I thought I'd be the grumpy one today, and and sir, I hand that crown to you. No, I have plenty of happy stuff in the second half of the podcast. Well, let's get on to the other stuff you don't like and talk about Avengers versus X-Men number four then. So, you know, when, so Aaron was like, how did they get that space station in the Andromeda galaxy? Okay. How do you get a polar bear in Antarctica? <laughs> that, I, I had that same question. <laughs> I, I thought it was perhaps an unfair question, but I had the same question. <laughs> I was like, "That's cool." Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. Oh, it, it swam there for the uh, the Lost Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a zoo uh, that that's old in uh, Antarctica. Or maybe he walked there from, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, f- from the North Pole or uh-huh. something. I don't know. I mean, we're t- we're talking about John Romita Jr. Are you sure it was supposed to be a polar bear and not like a <laughs> seal or something? <laughs> <laughs> Could be a penguin. So, I have a question for you guys on this book. Do any of you have the AR reader and actively use it? No. Yes, I do. Okay, because there is a ton of AR symbols throughout this book. Yes, there are. Are any of them worth getting the reader to see what that content is? You know, uh, what a lot of the AR content has been through AVX has been, you know, look at this page from pencil to inks to coloring. And so, like, on this first page where you've got, you know, uh, Wolverine – who has, you know, killed an endangered species, the Antarctic polar bear. Uh, the only one that exists yeah. ever. <laughs> to wear it uh, as he marches across Antarctica, finding That's beer. Um, <laughs> when you, when you uh, put your AR reader over it, it will show you what that page looked like from original concept sketches all the way to finished project product. But when you uh, go over to... Uh, the AR symbol where Thor has thrown his uh, hammer into the Phoenix Force, you know, and it shows that world blowing up. Um, it brings in a video with a scientist talking about what it would take to destroy the Earth. You know, and it talks about dropping an antimatter bomb down through the core, which, you know, I was concerned about because I feel like it's arming terrorists with information on how to destroy the world with antimatter. The Tom Clancy situation all over again. It really is. Dad in the anarchist cookbook here. <laughs> exactly. I'm very concerned. AVX number four and the anarchist cookbook. That's right. That's right. So that was what, the, what that AR got you. And that was the first time they've actually uh, included video within the story. I thought that was kind of cool. I, you know, I'm kind of tired of looking at the, the pages from concept to finish uh, piece. Because they've done it with some pages that aren't that impressive. In issue one of AVX, they did the one where Hope is lighting up. I'm sorry, issue two of AVX, where Hope is lighting up Wolverine. You know, and that one was really nice because the number one, the the page was so breathtaking to begin with, and then to show how the concept sketches went through the process was was pretty cool. 
what could get me to download the AR reader would be if they would do a couple extra panels here or there. Something that would be too much to put in the main book because uh-huh. of spacing reasons. Like Thor, you know, hits the Phoenix with the hammer, Phoenix crashes into the planet, and then you get two or three panels on the planet. Right. You know, if there were, if there is life on that planet, because we have no idea. Sure. So if there's life on that planet, have people on the planet look up. Here's a giant firebird coming from the sky. Here's the destruction around the planet. A couple of extra panels like that. I would download the the reader for that. But I don't think I would want to download it just for the what you're describing. Sure. Wayne wants people say, "Oh no, it's Godzilla." <laughs> it's Fredzilla. You know, I I think they're really new into this whole AR reader thing. It wouldn't surprise me that some of that is coming. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to hide and see, you know, what they decide to do with it. It would be really cool if they did something like, you know, that whole Versus book they're printing that seems pretty pointless because it's just fight after fight. Now that would be cool in here. You get the AR reader, you scan it, you get... The fight that was cut out, right? Or well, you know, just a on, couple panels of it on the panel where uh, um, you know they're fighting in in uh, the jungle, and you know they're on the savage land, and you know, um, giant man takes a a uh, sword to the back. That AR brings up uh, a little media image, you know, with the, with the you know spinning globe, and then gives you information, you know, location, Wakanda, Eastern Africa, and then flashes a bunch of images like you're watching a, a news story. So, you know, there, there's some interesting content there, but, you know, I, I, like I said, I think it's still pretty new, you know, because the, the first time they did this was an AVX1, and I think they're just kind of starting to, to figure out what they can add as they go through this story. So, what did you think of AVX number four? Story stretching on. This is another barely moving the plot along, kind of pointless. This whole miniseries should be half the size it's going to be. So yeah, I, I have I, I'm actually agreeing with Wayne. I felt like <laughs> issue four was a little pointless. I felt like issue four and three could have been combined into one issue. Yeah. Yes. Not yes. only that, other than the polar bear, there <laughs> were so many continuity errors in this book that it was frustrating for me. And I'll, so I'll, I, I, here's three off the top of my head. So last week, Wolverine and the X-Men number 10 shows that Wolverine goes back to the Jean Grey school and Cyclops comes and confronts him all before he meets. Uh, and this is, and that all happens in Wolverine and the X-Men number 10. Well, I don't see how that happened since Wolverine met up with hope in Antarctica. Well, you see, that's that's where he got the bear. He went back to a school, swung by the North Pole, picked up a polar bear, and then went back to Antarctica, Paul. It's it's very obvious. I don't know that, why you're having such a hard time. That's true. Yeah, it makes sense now. Well, but you know what doesn't make sense is that, you know, if you read AVX Versus, Captain America basically gets, like, all his clothes torn off. Not all of his clothes. Hot. But he gets held out of him by Gambit before he beats Gambit, and his costume's all torn and stuff. Um, that doesn't happen in AVX number four. Um, not only that, Thor is wearing a different costume in Avengers number 26 than he is in AVX number four in the same scene. There's just so many continuity errors. I mean, you're right. Well, and, and the, here's, a, here's a big one. <laughs> Blue area of the moon, an artificial environment created by alien scrolls. 
I caught that too. That was created by the Cree. <laughs> I did. I did wonder about that, but I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't think that was right. I was. I, I was like native scrolls. <laughs> you know, scrolls that, that have their you know visa. You know, they're allowed to study in the U.S. <laughs> student exchange program. I don't know. Yeah. Continue, Aaron. It's like Tom Brevoort didn't see this before it went out because I know he knows better. But the blue area was created by the Cree. True. I just I don't uh, I, I've got a problem with that. You know, and I'm not trying to be nitpicky because I wouldn't have noticed. I mean, I would have noticed the polar bear. I would have noticed the blue area, and but the other stuff I wouldn't have noticed if I wasn't reading the tie-ins. Right. But then don't have tie-ins if they are going to contradict your main storyline so significantly. Yeah. See, I'm waiting since they're building the hype up of the story. I'm just waiting for the next issue to start with the watcher standing over them because every time they want to tell us that the story is really important, the watcher will be standing there looking down. I will. I will really be into it once that happens. Once the watcher's there, I will know this is a good book. Now, did, <laughs> did any of you guys read Avengers 26? I did. Now, I, did not. I just what, here's what I need from these Avengers stories that uh, Walt Simonson is illustrating, I need them just to take out the word balloons. Yeah. Because, because I, I'm annoyed by the word balloons, but I am so much enjoying what Walt Simonson's laying down on the pages. Like that cover. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thoroughly digging the cover with uh, with Thor and Novar fighting. Mm-hmm. It's Novar, right? Yes. Um, I just I really dig that. And, I, and I'm not sure how much of that is Walt and how much of that is the colorist, but I mean, it's just a beautiful cover. Saved to my uh, my uh, special cover album for uh, the Funny Book Awards this year because I'm really digging that. But you know, the dialogue in here has Captain America, you know, chiming on about the Phoenix Force, calling it a parasitical force of cosmic proportions. And I would like to say that the Phoenix Force is more symbiotic in its relationship to its host than parasitic. Just saying. It does well, it doesn't give... say, whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't say in relationship to its host. He said in relationship to the universe. He actually doesn't establish the relationship. Oh, I thought you said universe. I thought it was a yeah. parasitical universe. Of cosmic universe. proportions. Oh, just parasitical force. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. I, I, I love how they all that. focus on the Phoenix, yo, eating planets and stuff, although in the original story it never ate a planet, it ate a sun, but I love how they focus on eating planets and how now suddenly it's destroying planets and things, but everyone forgets that it, you know, saved the multiverse a couple times, that it's done some good things too, and that it was been attached to heroes that nobody freaked out about, like Rachel Summers. Well, and, you know, you can you can say that the, the Phoenix Force has, has done you know, a lot of destructive things, and it has. The Phoenix Force is scary. I get it. But, you know, the Phoenix Force has also done good things, as Wayne illustrates. For instance, saving the lives of all the X-Men when uh, the, their, their plane crashed into the, into the water. You know, that was, that was the Phoenix Force first emerging and bringing everybody up out, out of that, that terrible, terrible situation. Plus, it allowed uh, Gene Summers to get it on with uh, – not Gene Gray to get it on with Scott Summers without his uh, visor on because you can hold back his optic blasts so they didn't have to cosplay their lovemaking. That really happened? That really happened. She held oh, that back. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm glad we're not getting – I'm so sad we're not getting stories like that anymore. <laughs> So, you know, I agree. I think that, you know, AVX number four was stretching. It really should have been part of AVX number three. 
Yeah. Yeah. I you know, and and it does it does suggest that perhaps we're going to be going a little long in this uh, maxi series. Yeah, and I'm sorry I forgot I accidentally dropped Avengers 26 from our outline somehow. Uh-huh. But yeah, to your point, you know, uh, and to the same point we're making with AVX and the continuity errors, Avengers number 26 is literally a book of scenes that were in other books. Yeah. It's scenes from Secret Avengers that we already read in Secret Avengers. Scenes that we've already read in Avengers vs. X-Men. The problem is they are told differently. <laughs> and they are diff- they, the characters are wearing different clothing, and they, the events occur differently. And it just isn't working for me. There are too many continuity errors. And it seems like I'm literally going to have to stop reading everything in the Marvel Universe other than Avengers versus X-Men and Amazing Spider-Man since it doesn't cross over because any other book is just going to contradict something and it's going to piss me off. Yeah. But boy, those Walt Simonson pages on Avengers are pretty awesome. Yeah. I'll wait for the artist to do it. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so is, is the art is the, uh, art team going to change in AVX 5? Is, isn't this uh, no, in AVX 6. Point? No, it, it, they, originally it was going to be the third wave point, but I think what happens is, you know, some of these other guys are a little slower, so they, they let John Romita Jr. do an extra issue. <laughs> Better. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one book that I am enjoying, or one event that I'm enjoying, and which seems to be really taking care of its continuity, is the Night of the Owl storyline uh, in the Batman titles. Uh, now, Tim, you Hootie read Nightwing number... Hootie who? You read, Night- <laughs> <laughs> you read Nightwing this week, didn't you? Yeah, you know, I I heard uh, well, I got in the Batman and Robin Night of the Owls book, and um, I heard you saying that uh, what the the big buildup for Nightwing was that originally he was you know slated to be one of these one of these Court of the Owls assassins, mm-hmm. and I found that interesting enough to see to you know say well I I kind of want to see what his tie in is I want to I want to hear that story a little bit. And I, I really liked it. I uh, was it uh, Eddie Barrows does the art on this. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a really pretty book. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And so you know, in Nightwing number nine, basically Dick Grayson takes on his great grandfather, who is a, right. an assassin for the Court of Owls. Not just a assassin. Apparently, he's the best assassin. Yes. Well, according to him, you know. He's biased, but you he, know he might he might be biased. But yeah, no, this was a this was a good fight. Um, I I thought that um, both the artist and the writer uh, did a good job portraying the fact that uh, that uh, Nightwing is beat the crap already. So I don't yeah. know what happened in the last ep- issue, but he must have gotten in a fight with another owl, and then this happened. Yeah, that's basically what happened. He got into a fight with another owl, um, and when Nightwing begins the issue, he, he's basically filled with knives. Uh, and he still, you know, he still takes on the talent. And you're right. It's a, it, I thought it was a really good issue. It's a good tie-in. There are, thankfully, no continuity gaps for me to be pissed off about. So, I, I, go ahead. So, Batman and Nightwing were both filled with knives in the evening leading into Night of Owls. Essentially. Hmm. It's interesting. Well, I, those are the, the owl's tools of use. Well, I mean, Batman w- was was riddled with knives from from uh, what was his name? No name or for, forget me or nobody. Uh, sh- nobody, nobody. Thank you. Right. <laughs> forget me. Forget me not. That's his name. <laughs> I'm trying to forget that guy. But anyway, uh, uh, he needs a name like he needs a hole in the head. 
I gotta say, Batman seems awfully spry, having just had the shit beat out of him from, uh, and so so does Damon, uh, Damien, after having, uh, you know, just been beating the crap out by nobody. Well, I don't think they're supposed to imply that this takes place the same night as the nobody. No, incident. it does. If you read Batman and Robin, uh, they're sitting there out, and Damon, Damien's got the concussion, and they're sitting there just playing with the dog, and then suddenly the uh, bat signal hits the sky, and they're like, ah, oh, we gotta go to work. And, and that, as I understand it, leads right into Night Owls. Possibly. Now I'm clicking back over there to make sure I'm right. But go on. <laughs> so before we move on from Night of the Owls, and it sounds like you know Tim enjoyed Nightwing number nine, as did I. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, you read Batman number nine, didn't you? Yes, I did read Batman number nine. I I, uh, I decided that I would go ahead and have a look at what was going on with the Batman, and I rather enjoyed Batman number nine. Yeah, I, again – you know, Night of the Owls is one of the storylines that you don't need to read every issue. In fact, I would highly recommend against reading every issue to avoid the repetition that I'm getting in some of the storylines. Um, yeah, and just as an aside, if you like Batman and his supporting cast, you got you got an instant reaction when you saw the cover of Batman and Robin 10. Yeah, Batman and Robin is a pretty damn good book. Yes, yeah. yes. Batman and Robin Ted has every single person that's ever been Robin and Batman on the yeah. cover in a fight. Oh my god! And number nine was fantastic. I really enjoyed number nine. You know what book surprised me with what I, with how much I liked it? Justice League number nine. You know, I know everyone on the podcast other than Wayne dropped this book with me, or you know, during the first storyline because the first storyline disappointed so many of us. Um, but Justice League number nine was really freaking good. It's the first um, part of the second story of the you know the second main storyline. It's called no. The this story. is the, I say this is really the second part. The last issue was kind of a transition, but it tied yeah. into this quite a bit. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. You know, the, the last issue did tie into it. This is you know the first chapter, I guess. But I, I recommend reading issue eight also. But issue nine is just dynamite, and it's miss, and it has everything that I was missing from the first arc, which was you know good character interaction, interesting you know, looks at everyone's secret identity life. Um, it, it just it, it worked. It fired on all cylinders. This was what I wanted in a Justice League book from the very beginning. So, and wasn't getting. I think I've pinned down why eight and nine were so much better than the first ones. A lot of the focus isn't on the team itself or the characters. It's on some of the supporting characters. Particularly, Steve Trevor played a big part in both issues 8 and 9. And everything with him has been really good. Personality-wise, we've seen a lot of personality from Flash and Green Lantern in this book. But we haven't from a lot of the others. And you're really getting some good Wonder Woman personality in this book now. Superman, I still have a huge issue with. And I finally, after all this time, picked down what my issue with Superman in the New 52 is. Superman is not a larger-than-life character to be looked up to. He's not, you know, he's not this icon that I see Superman as. And he seems kind of flat and personalityless. That covers every book that Superman's in. They've done a really good job with Clark Kent, but they've been very weak with Superman. This no. is the first issue that I've actually seen a little bit of Superman personality in since the new 52 was launched. Yeah. And, you know, I, 
I, I really enjoyed the Superman appearance and the Clark Kent appearance in this. And, you know, it just shows how much of a bitch Lois Lane is in the New 52. She literally invites everyone in the office out to lunch except for Clark Kent. Even Jimmy. She invites Jimmy but doesn't invite Clark Kent. And, you know, so Clark Kent's sitting at his desk eating a sandwich all depressed, and he gets a text message from Bruce that just says, got lunch plans? And, you know, they team up to take on a, a breakout at Ark Asylum. And that's just a perfect Batman-Superman moment. And, and that's not something I've seen in the 52 yet or in this Justice League book. And I saw it here, and I just it, it, I really loved Justice League number nine. Yeah, one of the things the first story arc was missing was they didn't do enough with telling us who these characters are outside of their powers. And the second arc is doing a much better job of that. We're actually getting personality from all of the characters. We're seeing what these characters actually care about. And the stuff with Steve Trevor is just blowing me away with you know how vicious some of those panels are and just how much they're getting inside his head. And to top it all off, I'm loving the Shazam stuff in the back, too. Yeah, you're getting a Shazam back up with Gary Frank Art. I mean, it's just finally Justice League is turning around uh, the mediocre first arc, and I, I am very happy for it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I didn't drop the book because this just really impressed me. I hope they keep up with this level of quality. I know Jim Lee's on for this second arc. I don't know how – I don't know if he's on anything after that, but well, you know, I'm with on board. For- with the second arcs coming out, the uh, first volumes are, are now coming out in trade, um, and DC has – or Amazon, I should say, has some fantastic deals on the hardcovers for these books. I mean like I pick, I ordered uh, Detective Comics and uh, Batman uh, this week, and I think I paid 11 or $12 for both of those hardcovers. That's just fantastic. God, I mean it, it is just such a sweet deal. You know, what I'm, I'm really to... curious about, though, with the hardcovers, I want to know if these backup stories are in the Justice League trades, because I'd like to see the backup stories as their own standalone book. You put all of them together and you've got one single issue. The Steel backup that we saw before was really good. The uh, the Shazam backup we have now is really good. Some of the backups have been better than the main stories in previous books. I don't know. I don't know if they're included in the trades. Uh, because most of them weren't in the first six issues of the title. Maybe Action Comics was. But, yeah, I there are definitely some books that I'm going to pick up the uh, the trades and the hardcover for, because like the first arc of Batman I would really like in trade. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to decide if Justice League would read better as a trade, the first arc, or if it was just really as bad as I remember. No, I've gone back and reread it. It's really as bad as you remember. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I struggled with that. I thought about getting it, and I was like, no, no. <laughs> but if you're on board for kind of a more adult superhero book, uh, Danger Club number two came out this week. It's but, funny you know, that you characterize that as a more adult superhero book since it focuses on teen heroes. Teens. That's yeah, true. Yeah, this is true. This is true, but it's adult storytelling. How about that? Okay. So Danger Club number two came out this week, read by Tim and Aaron and myself. Well, Tim, what did you think of Danger Club? Andrew. And and Andrew. Andrew and read it. it. you got to include Andrew. Andrew in the club. All right. All right. Andrew, what did you think of the book? Well, I think if I was a member of the Danger Club, I would be the princess. But, uh, you know, I, I liked it. So <laughs> Danger Club number one set a really high bar. I mean, Danger Club number one, we raved about it. It was fan freaking tastic. 
and it hooked all of us, I think, uh, right into this book. So two, I would say, did not live up to the phenomenal of number one. But again, we talked about earlier, you want that first issue to get people in and, and get them bought into your series so they'll keep putting money down each month. And, and that's what it did. And so while I thought two was a really good book, I thought it, it started building character. It slowed down the pace quite a bit from number one. Um, it, it really kind of starts to build out the universe some more. So not as good as number one, but but very good nonetheless. But, you know, page two, oh, my God. Yes. Yes. You're talking about the wrinkly guy? Well, I, I actually, I guess not page two, but page, page two three. of the main story. But, yeah, yes. uh, page three. Uh yeah, it gives you it gives you something to keep reading for, even though they yeah. don't get back to that in this in this book. Yeah, it gives you something in the long term where you want to know how that happened. Yeah, yeah, I, and I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, no, but, but holy jeez, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Andrew, you're absolutely right. I mean, lots of slowing down to the story, and you know, kind of seeing collateral damage to what's happened to these teen heroes as they're uh, they're you know, mentors and fathers and older brothers and whatnot have all left the earth and, and what that means. Um, I dug it. I dug it. How about you, Paul? I, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I don't know how many times we could say that it wasn't as good as issue one because it wasn't as good as issue one, but well, three, was, three so far, three, but it was, uh, it was, it was a necessary piece. You know how we were talking about new crusaders, you know, began, you know, New Crusaders began at the beginning of the story, and unfortunately, when you begin at the beginning of the story, you're not necessarily beginning with the most interesting bits. Danger Club, you know, is kind of starting with the most interesting bits of the story, and then coming back and explaining how we got there. Right. And so, you know, so yes, issue two is a lot more character interaction. It's very much got a. It's almost like reading a pre-New Fifty Two Teen Titans. Uh, I know that's the second time I've made that reference, but if anyone read pre fifty pre New Fifty Two Teen Titans, uh, Tim Drake was making a, a clone of Connor Kent after Connor Kent died, right? And like something very similar occurs in Danger Club Number Two, uh, and so it, it, it's you know I know I'm I think the reason I'm connecting so much with the book is because it feels like I'm reading about characters that I knew and loved, even though these are new characters. Yeah. Um, but it's it's well written and the art is gorgeous, and I'm just I'm enjoying the hell out of this book. Right. And and the fact that issue two came out less than a month after issue one, I, I hope they can keep up the the monthly pace because that would be fantastic. Now, yeah. Tim, are you already planning your trip to Micro Tokyo? Uh, no. <laughs> is it is it because it's all busted up now? It's honestly that half of the book was kind of goofy to me. <laughs> it really was. It has I, a very different feel. Yeah. 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 I, did, I I felt kind of taken out of the story they they were telling in one with that part of it. But I, I can't say it's a bad book because the whole kid vigilante piece of it. Yeah. Was incredible. Oh yeah. It was incredible watching him turn off his you know the machine on his brother and oh my goodness you know it, and it, then showing that hey you know this was our enemy but that crap doesn't matter anymore. So she's here. You know, it was, it was awesome. I love this book. Well, and I love that, you know, you know, we, we get to meet his brother who has been comatose for a good long while. And we find out that it wasn't a battle with the super vil- villain. It was, you know, just a, an illness, you know, there, there's no, no, uh, you know, uh, heroic death here. It was just, you know, unfortunate health. Yeah, there's no revenge thing. It's like yeah. I'm gonna get X. No, it was just yeah. life. Yeah. No, I right. 
I, I think this is just a, a really well done book. Uh, I, I agree that the Micro Tokyo story, you know, is jarring in comparison to the Kid Vigilante story. Um, I'm sure over time that stuff's going to blend a little better. Uh, but I think I, they're doing it there deliberately to heighten the contrast oh, between yeah. the two. I, I think you're get, you, it's making the valley of the Kid Vigilante story deeper by making these little poppy Tokyo anime-ish uh, right. uh, micro-Tokyo bits. And I think that's why they instead of telling the Kid Vigilante first in the half part, first half of the book and then the micro-Tokyo part in the second half, that's why I think they, they intermix them is to make... Yeah, make, it's, the, it's the contrast. Yes. I literally yeah. had no idea what the fuck was happening. I She was I stealing a it, mech, Tim. Well, I didn't even know it was a she for a while. Which is crazy because because women can't drive mechs. What the hell Whoa. was she thinking? She's jacking. She's jacking. She's jacking a fool. That's what she's doing. <laughs> I I honestly thought that all, you know he saw his brother in the tank and then he went into an AV world where he talked to him. <laughs> it's literally what I was thinking. His and they were fighting chick. because he's annoyed. He's in a coma. Like I got this whole anarchy Red Robin vibe for a uh-huh. while. It's like what's going on. I can kind of see that because, you know, the Micro Tokyo chick whose name I can't think of does have kind of that short, spiky black hair. And his brother in the tank has short, spiky black hair. And you see him in mechs. It's like, okay, they're in AV world fighting. Okay, that's that's interesting. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, well, that makes this a whole lot different than what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a prediction about what happened on uh... – page three how that's going to play out but i'll save that for another show yeah. or perhaps All after right. we're done perhaps after we're done recording you can share your thoughts with us i'm curious to see what you think about it okay so uh daredevil issue 13 hell knight now is that hell knight n-i-g-h-t or k-n-i-g-h-t n-i-g-h-t nah, i'm less interested mm. <laughs> <laughs> you remember how disappointed I was that the uh, the crossover didn't end this story that's been building all this time. Has your ha- has your position changed? And I, I'm finally gl- glad to see this storyline get some closure to it. This I'm torn if this is my book of the week or the next one we're going to talk about is my book of the week because this was so good and I did not see the twist ending coming at all. I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, Foggy Nelson Matt Murdock uh, flashback. The, the what happens in you know it kind of talks about Matt Murdock's experience with Foggy Nelson, how they met back in, in college because you know actually is that that's this one, isn't it? No, that's uh, not this no, one. No, oh, sorry. Last so sorry. I enjoyed that in the last issue. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Continue. <laughs> did you read Daredevil number thirteen? I did. I did. I just I, you know I read them both back to back. So uh, <laughs> they were both very good. They both went together pretty well. I said the uh, this uh, the twist ending completely blew me away. I didn't see it coming at all. Yeah. No. I did have. I, I loved Daredevil number thirteen as usual. The writing was fantastic. I didn't necessarily care for the art that much in Daredevil number thirteen. It's, yeah, the, it seemed uh, a little rushed. The art of Wolverine is – it reminds me of the old new uh, new X-Men days when I absolutely hated the way all the characters looked. It also looks like Wolverine got hit in the face with a uh, frying pan. That was probably – that panel more than any other in the entire book bothered me because of how bad it was. Yeah. Well, it's written by – 
Yeah, it's it, the art was by Koi Fam. Uh-huh. And, you know, a fill-in artist, which, I gotta be honest, a little disappointing for me, that the conclusion of the major story arc is done by a fill-in artist. Yeah. Um, not only that, a fill-in artist doesn't have the intricacies that we've gotten from the other three artists on the book. Chris well, Tommy, and, Paula Rivera, and, and Marcos Martin. And why couldn't they allow their artists a little bit more time? Because this book came out, what, two weeks after Daredevil? After uh, yeah. issue 12? I mean, yeah, so... that. I, I would have been happy for them to allow the art, you know, somebody like Chris Somney, uh, the opportunity to to fin- polish off the storyline. But the writing was amazing on this book. I absolutely agree. Uh, yep. You know, the, uh, Daredevil's inner dialogue, dialogue, <laughs> inner dialogue. I can't say the word. I'm having a stroke. Um, <laughs> do you smell his tongue, toast, Aaron? Do you smell toast? <laughs> mm, toast. Um, but the, the blind man on a sky sled punching buttons. Wonder what this one does. It just cracks me up. I mean, Mark yeah, Wade has got such a spectacular voice for this character. I have never cared about Daredevil before Mark Wade taking over, and this is one of my favorite books you know, that are coming out at all right now. Mm-hmm. Every t- every time I get it, I look forward to reading, it, and every time I'm happy with it. I've never seen such a good take on the blind aspect of Daredevil. They have done a better job with, uh, you know, with just that getting inside of his head and what is different by being blind than any other writer I've ever seen do Daredevil. I was, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about Daredevil, and as we're talking about it, I'm like, so I wonder who makes his costume. Because if you look at his original ugly yellow and red costume, I, I could see a blind man doing that, not not realizing what the colors look like, but... How does he tell where the colors blending ends? How does he tell that it really is a red costume? He could go out in a pink costume and it would look the same to him. And uh, that killed the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was an interesting conversation when it happened, Wayne. Well, no, it's, <laughs> it's something that still bugs me. That with all of the other heroes, you kind of see where their costumes came from, and they actually spend some time to talk about it. I've never seen that in any of the Daredevil origins, where and how he got his costume. Because it would seem more difficult for a blind man to make a costume than a, a sighted man. I have actually but, seen that in one of his origin yeah. stories, where he Daredevil the, yellow. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it matches the colors of his father's uh, boxing yeah. clothes. Boxing robe. And I, I believe that's why it... Uh, that, that's why it was yellow and black, because his father's boxing robe was yellow and black or whatever. Now, how did he know that? I mean, I'm sure he saw it before he went blind. Right. <laughs> All right. I, I, if I were the person at the store, I would still be selling him the wrong color cloth. Because <laughs> you're cruel. You're a cruel person. <laughs> so I have a question. Yes. What do you, what do you guys think uh, Foggy Nelson found in Matt Murdock's drawer in his desk? I don't know. Yeah, I'm really curious because at first I thought it was going to be that the Fantastic Four symbol, but he has that, so that's not it. I think it's an explanation for why Matt Murdock is so happy, but is it drugs? Well, I mean, he's so horrified, and maybe that's just, you know, a bad rendering of the scene, but you'd almost expect to see like a, you know, and yeah, exactly. Something disembodied in there, you know. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow's head. You know, is basically what I expected. <laughs> I saw the Avengers. I wanted to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah I I did love the issue. I love the way it ended. I love that we're gonna see Daredevil versus uh, Doctor Doom. 
But, uh, you know, again, the art I had some qualms with. I, I really wish they had gone with one of the regular artists on the series because when they did the radar vision, when this artist did the radar vision, which was only done in like one or two panels. Yeah. Not it nearly as well. so wrong. Yeah. It's well, and I kept thinking he's having trouble with his radar because, you know, it was just so poorly rendered. Yeah. Yeah. But anywho, so let's talk about fantastic Four six Oh five point one. Let's get the only bad thing I have to say about it out of the way right now, in that this is not a point one issue. Yeah. If the whole goal of the point one issue is to bring people on board and show them what the book is supposed to be like, this is not a point one issue. Yeah, there's there's nothing here to sell you on an ongoing Fantastic Four story, other than the fact that this is an awesome Fantastic Four story. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, you know, one of the things is if you read the letters page, they even say on the letters page like. This isn't our normal point one story. This is just something Jonathan Hickman has been begging us to allow him to do, so we finally let him do it. Yeah, it's like, uh-huh. why, why call this a point one? Because more people will buy it because it's a point one. If it were just put out as a one shot, I don't know if I would have got it. I got it as a point one, and I, like I said, that was the only bad thing I had to say about it, is that it's not, it isn't really a point one. But really, most of the point ones haven't been point ones either, so. But it cracks me up because they're like, if you don't like this book or if you're pissed off, blame Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> yeah, fuck because, that guy. Because it was his idea. And we <laughs> thought it was weird, but <laughs> he wanted to do it. But I, I I agree with you. I thought it was a fantastic issue. I think it could have served as an issue of Fantastic Four or FF rather than a point one. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, Jonathan Hickman's kind of doing a bunch of done in one stuff between now and when his uh, tenure on Fantastic Four expires later this year. And every single one of them have been home runs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this this was fantastic. And for those of you who, who want to know what the book is about, you know, this is a an origin story of the Fantastic Four in an alternate universe. Um, and this is a world in which Germany won World War II, and uh, Fant- uh, Reed Richards is working for the Reich and is you know trying to to win a victory in space to further inspire uh, the, uh, the 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 peoples of worldwide Germany. And so you know Johnny Sturm and his sister Susan Sturm. Are uh, you know recruited for the team as well as uh, brought forth from a concentration camp, the uh, uh, Benjamin the, J. Grimm, or as I as I quote the book, bring out that Jew pilot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know he uh, bends in a concentration camp and winds up you know flying the ship, um, and they go off and become heroes of the or you know altered uh persons of this universe hard to call them heroes um you know we we meet victor von doom while uh, reed richards is in school and 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 victor you know is able to solve a problem that reed richards hasn't so what's the answer how do you how do you how do you collaborate with somebody who is who is able to you know think of solutions that you can't you cut out that part of his brain and put it in yours. Hey, it worked. It worked on Heroes for Siler. Uh, this book was so dark and wonderful, and ties yeah. in so nicely 
to the storyline that that uh, Jonathan Hickman has been, you know, cooking for the last couple of years over at Fantastic Four. And the art was spectacular for the story. Very well suited to the story. And I love some of the nice little touches, like when their the rocket crashes back to Earth, the Nazi symbol is scraped to the point where you see it's making a four. I hadn't caught that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, three of the uh, the legs to it have been scraped a little bit, so it's a it's just the little touches like that that are kind of in the background that yeah. really get your attention. Well, get your attention. I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I only have one complaint in this book, and it was how uh, Ben Grimm was handled. Um, you know, now the, the the character has been established for a long time that, that he's Jewish, and I just have a hard time believing that in any world where where the Nazis are supreme, that they would let you know a uh, a, a a person of Jewish descent fly their their high tech plane. And they didn't make any case in the book as to why they needed this guy over, say, a Nazi pilot. Yeah, I mean, the way they treat it was that they're taking someone who's just a throwaway person. Yeah. That the only reason for him going is, I mean, if it were a suicide mission, I could see it. But they're sending one really intelligent pe- person, two people for security that have been have proven themselves by fighting, and one person that they see as someone that they can just throw away. Yeah, yeah. I I was that, wondering about that too. That was my my only the only thing that I disliked about it, and I disliked how easily he was manipulated by Reed Richards later in the story. I, that, that, but again, minor uh, complaints. I loved the overall. I love that, you know, essentially what Hickman did is he told you the backstory of one of the infinite reads. Uh, uh, I just I, I just loved it. I, I'm just like, this is fantastic. So Hick, Hickman is just really hitting his stride over at Fantastic Four, you know, right as he's getting ready to leave. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I can't recommend it if you're trying to get into the Fantastic Four. No, I agree. But but if you are are aware of who the Fantastic Four are, or you've been reading it for a while and you're on the fence on picking up the issue, definitely pick it up. It's a damn good book. Yeah. Or if you just used to like what ifs, because this is it's a really a yeah, this would be one of the top what if stories if it were published in what if. Absolutely. So, next week we have another issue of. Ends of the Earth coming out. With and Stefano Castelli. Red yeah. Robin. <laughs> yeah, because I, I haven't read a Red Robin story since uh, Teen Titans number one, which I hated. Absolutely. Yeah, I have been so looking forward to this just because he's on the cover. If it disappoints, you know, we're all going to be very pissed off. True. So I have two questions. Is anyone picking up Batman Incorporated number one with me? Sell you know what? I'm gonna, I am going to flip through it. it. And when I flip through it, I'll be sold on it if I see spoiler in there. If I don't see spoiler, then I'm probably not going to pick it up. Understood, understood. So Batman Incorporated number one is basically Batman and Talia al Ghul fighting for Damian Wayne. Um, It's very much the stuff that Grant Morrison was doing in his Batman Incorporated book before the New 52. Kind of altered a little bit for the New 52 universe uh the the batman incorporated leviathan strikes one shot that came out a couple months ago was not only fantastic but did have a full issue focused on the spoiler so i'm, I'm looking forward to this book i really am looking forward to it i mean we've i've had i've read some really great stories in it and uh yes i know it's a grant morrison book but i love it so we'll see how it is so it sounds like you guys are on the fence about it 
How about Justice League Dark number nine? It's the new creative team, Jeff Lemire. Is that going to sell anybody on it with me? Uh, that would be a negative. Nope. Uh, Maybe. See, what I was reading is that Jeff Lemire had a big hand in the free comic book day issue, mm-hmm. specifically the scenes in the black room. Um, so a lot. So basically, Jeff Lemire is taking over Justice League Dark, and it's going to tie in with the stuff of the Justice League book and the Free Comic Book Day book more. Um, and so I'm, I'm I'm hoping that'll make it a a more interesting book because it's got a team I'm interested in. I mean, Constantine and Zatanna and characters like that. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm gonna give it a shot. I you know I didn't you know DC uploaded some of their Free Comic Book Day stuff. But I didn't see the uh, Justice League Dark one on there. Well, no, it, it's the, the DC Free Comic Book Day issue. It basically has things that tie into the new arc on Justice League Dark. Oh, okay. So that, I did read through that one. So I obviously I missed that though. I got to go back and look at that again. Yeah. So, but I think that puts a bow on this week. What do you guys think? A big pretty bow. Yeah, I think we should let Paul go get his car, guys, and uh, talk to you guys <laughs> next time. Yeah, uh, Paul, you'll need two hundred and fifty dollars cash. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to wait to listen to this episode to understand that joke. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when you miss the first 15 minutes. Bye, everybody. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of IdeologyOfMadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.